You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. You won't find many people with a resume like Ben Klein's. I'll let Ben tell you his own story, but here are some of his career highlights that caught my attention. Ben Klein has been a professional musician who plays trombone and keyboard, not at the same time, but he once played for the Pope and in a USO show for Bob Hope. He's also worked as a technical writer for Unisys Corp, managed a sales team for Cisco Systems, and then he went back to school after 23 years to earn a master's degree in sports psychology. He's run his own consulting practice, was head coach for a high school golf team, worked as a part-time caddy at Pebble Beach, and none of those things are the reason why we're talking to Ben today. We're talking to Ben Klein today because he currently serves as the executive director of the Chivas Iron Society, which is a California-based nonprofit organization established in 1992 that's based on the deeper mysteries of golf and life, found in a book written 20 years earlier in 1971 by Michael Murphy. That book, called Golf in the Kingdom, is one of the best-selling golf books of all time. It's been translated into 19 languages and sold more than a million copies. The Shiva Science Society describes its mission as being for people who love golf and who were deeply touched by the principles contained within Murphy's book. The society is dedicated to furthering golf as a mindful pursuit and as a tool for personal growth and development. It's based on his eclectic resume, Ben Klein appears to be the perfect renaissance man to represent this organization, and I'll let him do most of the talking from here. Ben Klein, welcome to Golf Yeah! Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Okay. Listen, it's safe to say, just looking at your resume, that you've followed your passions for music and golf and psychology over the course of your career. Can you give us a more detailed, a firsthand account of that journey? Well, I'm flattered by the introduction. Well, I was born in uh, Washington, D.C. on the East Coast and lived my formative years there and uh, was raised by a couple of federal government employees and kind of risk averse. So when I ended up in sales, my parents were nervous, but I made it work out okay. I stayed on the East Coast for all those years where I was working a real job until, let's see, what year was it? It would have been 2004, just after I had met my future wife, and who was my current wife. And in 2005, I met uh, Chris in San Francisco and fell in love and steal a line from Robin Williams, I uh, came out to California to see about a girl. So I retired from high tech. Uh, I was getting a little bit burnt out on the sales, but I certainly enjoyed that career. And when I got to Mill Valley, California, which is just outside of San Francisco, I had to decide what I wanted to do next. I did find another band to work with, and that was a lot of fun, and found a kindred spirit, actually someone who, a musician, my friend Dan Sapp, who played guitar, and he had gone to college at the University of North Carolina, where I started my college career, and he had run track there, where I ran track. I was a triple jumper, and it turns out our fathers were from the same hometown, New Bern, North Carolina, which is a really small town on the east coast of Carolina. And kind of like what happens with uh, 
the Ship is Iron Society. And you know, when you're paying attention, these coincidences seem to have more resonance, you know, if you just pay attention to them. And so we became good friends and I played in a band called Close Enough with Dan and a few other people. And then I, that wasn't enough to keep me busy, but I started playing golf any degree of passion, I guess, probably around 1996, 97. And I kind of decided I wanted to have some fun and play golf and play music and deepen my relationship with Chris and our two dogs and a cat in that order. So I decided that I would go back to school and get a master's degree in sports psychology, as you mentioned. And I did that kind of selfishly because I figured if I could learn to help other people, I'd be able to help myself with my own golf game. And it worked out that I was able to help other people pretty well and still in process as, you know, we all, all of us golfers are, I guess, uh, always working to try and improve and improve our mental game as well as uh, our play. And as you mentioned, I, I ended up coaching a high school golf team, which was very, very satisfying. Had one player who ended up uh, playing in college at Claremont McKenna and was an academic All-America. Had nothing to do with me, but it, uh, it was a source of pride. And after about 10 years in the Bay Area, my wife, Chris, decided that she wanted to move down to Carmel to be near her good friend. And I know there are lots of great golf courses down in this area. So we you know, packed up and moved to Carmel, and we've been here about four years. And as you mentioned, I caddy a, a little bit over at uh, Pebble Beach and Spyglass. And I do just occasionally as my uh, body allows and as time allows. So very part-time, but I enjoy that very much. I love helping people uh, get around the course. You know, A lot of people come to Pebble Beach because it's a uh, bucket list item. And you know, most of the people that I meet on the golf course are really, really nice and friendly. And those that aren't are the exception and, and make me appreciate those that are very nice, if that much more. So, it's, uh, now, let me ask you a question about that, Ben. Sure. Does everyone stop on the seventh hole to have their picture taken? <laughs> no, not everybody, but it's uh, <laughs> there are a couple great spots for photos. So that's certainly a good one. And here's the other question I have, because I don't know if this is a myth or not. Is it true that someone or two golf carts drove off the cliff on the eighth hole and, and were killed several years ago? That is a myth. I do not believe it's true. It's certainly, I've heard it rumored, and it's possible. I mean, it's... There's no bones down in the in the water that you could spot her. <laughs> not that I'm aware of, but it, it is a good incentive for taking a caddy. Right. Since I've played there many years ago, I think they put a fence up now. No, no fence. There's no fence? No fence. So that oh, also leads okay. me to believe that it's just a rumor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, before we talk about the Shiver Science Society, well, because I'm interested to know how you hooked up with the group, but I'm guessing that many people listening to this probably have never read the book. So maybe you could start with a synopsis and maybe what Shiva Science means, because I'm sure a lot of people don't even know what the words mean. Yeah. And it's Shivas, S-H-I-V-A-S, not like the... Uh, the drink, the whiskey, right? Exactly. Yeah. Shivas Irons is the name of the main character of the book, a golf professional. And so, as you mentioned, Michael Murphy is the author of the book. I think it was his first novel, really. And Michael uh, Murphy grew up around this area in Salinas, California. And he's also the co-founder of the Esalen Institute, which is down in Big Sur. But the book itself is a story, fiction, we assume, and Michael likes to leave a little bit of doubt how much is true and how much is not true. But the story starts when the main character, Michael, is on his way to an ashram in India. 
And he stops at a golf shop in Scotland on his way there and asks for a game and gets paired with Chivas Irons, this golf pro who's giving a teaching lesson to uh, a student named MacGyver. They go first third of the book is really about that round of golf and how Michael is affected by watching the lesson and how he's affected by his own distractions and self-talk. And then, so there's the first nine and then the second nine, he actually starts to take on some of the lessons of Shiva Sirens and ends up having a pretty good back nine. And then uh, from there, the book, the second part goes kind of into the bar and then Michael gets invited to a dinner and then the dinner table conversation occupies the second third of the book. And um, everyone kind of talks, takes their turn in the book talking about why golf is great, you know, for them and what they think the meaning of the game is. And then the third part of the book really goes into just recollections of Michael's time with Shibis goes back and forth in time from 1971 or so back to the 52 or 56, whenever it was he had the round and the lessons that he learned and the kind of the metaphysical experiences and so forth. So, you know, as you mentioned, it's probably outside of Hogan's five lessons, the best-selling golf book of all time and has been rated as one of the best sports novels of all time as well. And it's, it captured the attention of a lot of people. Yeah. Have you met Michael Murphy? Yeah, I've met him a few times. That's one of the uh, nice things about running the society is I've had that opportunity. I actually met him. I was a member of the society before I moved down to Carmel and took over this role. But yeah, he's a uh, mid to late 80s at this point, but his eyes still sparkle and he's mischievous and <laughs> vibrant and very, very with it. Yeah. Well, the Esalon Institute, which he co-founded, as you mentioned, I mean, that's really, it's become recognized. It's had some really prestigious speakers. I mean, people of world-class renown have appeared there, but but they still have very vibrant programs and are kind of recognized as one of the leading places to go for, you know, that sort of self-analysis and an exploration of your own potential. Absolutely. Now, have you read other books that he's written? He's written a couple others, right? Yeah, he's, well, he's written a whole, quite a few other books. The the sequel to Golf in the Kingdom is The Kingdom of Ship of Sirens, and I've read most of that. He's written, I think the book he wrote after Golf in the Kingdom was something, I think it was Jacob Adabat or something of that nature. And it's kind of a, a spiritual thriller from what I've heard about it, but I haven't really delved into those. But yeah, Michael also did a lot of work with a guy named George Leonard. And George Leonard lived in Mill Valley, where Michael lives now, and they were good friends and co-wrote a lot of stuff together. And they were both, I think, very involved with kind of the human potential movement of the 60s and the 70s and so forth. And so I've had the good uh, graces to meet Michael several times. Last time was down at Esalen, actually, last year. Oh, actually, I've seen him since then as well. Michael has another organization that he is part of, and it's called Integral Transformative Process, or ITP International, and they have a golf tournament every fall, and they had one at Harding Park this past year. And Michael was there and actually took six or seven swings with uh, Bobby Clampett, who's a, a local here and a great guy and a great golfer. Was he a good golfer in his day, and does he still play? Uh, he doesn't play. I think he's got some knee issues. 
he was very excited, though, that he made those swings with Bobby and was uh, threatening to play. And I was going to try and hook him up with a teacher, but I think he's, he's backed <laughs> off of that a little bit. So Okay. So give us some background on the society and how and when it started, its mission, what you do. Now, I have to tell you, your, your new website is great. I mean, I can see you did a lot of work on it. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's been a big thrust this year. But going back to the starting of the society happened about 20 years after Michael wrote the book. So in 1992... The Shivas Iron Society was born. The society was actually the brainchild of a guy named Steve Cohen, who managed the kitchen at Esalen and was a kind of a gestalt psychology devotee and coach, I think. And he asked Michael, I think one day, hey, Michael, people are talking about your book. Would it be okay with you if I started a golf society inspired by your book? And Michael probably chuckled to himself, I could just imagine. And I think I heard it relayed that Michael thought it, the, that would last for a couple months and then it would go away. But so Steve started the society at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach in 92. And there was, you know, a big party and rounds of golf around the Open. And one of the opening events, Tommy Smothers, the Smothers Brothers was there. I think I, there was a story about him getting, he was passed out on the bar and the tap room and had to get carried out of the room. But, uh, By Bill Murray. Yeah. And Tommy probably started at first. And But at any rate, there was also a really interesting occurrence where on the seventh hole that you mentioned at Pebble Beach, the fabulous uh, short par three, where Michael was playing with a couple other people. And the scores on the hole were three, two, and one. So there was actually an ace, and it was recorded on film. And if you're a member of the Society, you can actually watch it on the member side of the uh, Shiva's Iron Society website. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. And it was Andy Nussbaum who made the ace. And uh, Andy had worked at Esalen as well, Had was a really wonderful man who had a his background was at West Point and the military, and he helped Steve Cohen a lot with the society. But Steve was the guy who started it and ran it until he took ill, which was probably about seven or eight years ago. And he just passed away about two and a half years ago. And his heart and his energy, I think, really drove the society. Well, tell me about the, what kinds of stuff does the society do? It's kind of hard to say what the society is. Because it's different things for different people. In one regard, the, the Shiva's Iron Society is really just a conversation. It's a conversation between people who love the game that, that enriches their lives by being part of a conversation. So it's a community of sorts. We have golf events. We're starting to have more of them. I'm trying to establish more regional type of events so that people who are active members of the society can get together locally with others. But we have an annual trip that we do to Bandon Dunes ever since Bandon Dunes has opened. We've been there except uh, one year, I believe. We've got a trip this May going out to Scotland. That's in conjunction with the Canadian Historical Golf Society. Hope to go to Ireland in 2020, potentially New Zealand as well. And then we have local events. So we did something in San Diego last month. We've got something coming up here in Monterey at the end of March, working with some of our members to put together an event down in the Austin, Texas area. And also for this year, and all these events are listed on our website, which is www.shivis.org, but trying to put something together in Tennessee. So we're trying to get around and, and have more events. And then, uh, We've got really some really interesting members as well. A couple of renowned golf photographers, Joanne Dost 
is one and Evan Schiller, the other. They both are licensed to do take photographs at Pebble Beach, which is an, a testament to their the quality of their work. But they're both members and got their artwork sprinkled throughout our website. I just interviewed Evan uh, the other day. He's going to be next up on uh, right before you on our podcast. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's played in a couple of U.S. Opens even. And So let me ask you, when I joined, you sent me three or four beautiful journals that had been published. I'm not sure when. But I'm not sure if now there's a publication out called The Golfer's Journal that I think stole your editorial and artistic mission. But does the society plan to put out that type of publication in the future again? Yeah, we'll have to see. I think there's hunger for it. I think The Golfer's Journal does a good job of it. With the website, I'm trying to put on content from our talented membership that you know is easy to access. I've still got a whole bunch of those journals that were probably created over 10 years ago, you know, in our warehouse. So they're really timeless. Yeah. Anyone who joins is welcome to have that as their welcome gift. So they are great. We've got some great writers, Al Barco, who's a very well-known golf writer, contributed to that. Fred Shoemaker, who is an extraordinary golf coach, runs a golf school that's called the Extraordinary Golf School. And he's written a book by the same title. And you know, just like you said, there's some wonderful timeless writing and some illustrations and so forth in those in those journals. Now, at one point, you had as many as a thousand members. You're down from that now. I guess the toughest question I need to ask you is: not as many people are reading the book now. I think. As a matter of fact, I interviewed a pretty well-known golf author recently, and he had not read the book, which surprised me. Yeah. So that's really the admission ticket. I mean, people have to understand the book and kind of embrace the philosophy to want to join. So how do you address that? Yeah, I mean, it's not a requirement to read the book to be part of the society. I think the book is such a, I mean, it inspired the creation of the society. And it's got so many wonderful lessons in it about the spirit of the game and even the mystical side of the game. And if you're a person who's attracted to spiritual things and deep thinking and you want to be around other people who love the game of golf the way you do but it's not all about score or about ego or how far you hit the ball or that sort of thing you still might want to be a member even if you haven't read the book but i think the book is a timeless classic and hopefully maybe finding the shivas iron society through the website or through other friends will you know help people refine the book but i think people are still reading it and uh the spirit of the game and, you know, kind of our mission to keep the spirit of the game alive will hopefully perpetuate the society and have it grow. We have a really strong core of members. We have a, we've grown to back up to a couple hundred at this point to really sustain. You know, if we double it, that'd be great. And if we double it again, I'll feel really good about the direction we're heading. Well, listen, your your new website's a great first step in that regard. Thank you. Know. you. Yeah, in fact, we have a couple new members that are found us from as far away as Australia. We've got two members from Australia and a new member from Finland as well. You know, and it's, you know, you ask, what can the society do for them out there? And again, it's being part of a community, being part of kind of a group meditation, if you want to look at it that way, where the your experience is enhanced by being associated with even if you're not with them, with like-minded people. And hopefully the website's going to help our members find each other more easily. I mean, a good example of that is John Rousseau is on our board of directors, and he's a very avid golfer from Toronto, Canada. And whenever he would travel to play golf someplace, he'd say, hey, Ben, 
who do we have that's in San Antonio, Texas? And I'd send them a list of people and the new website really allows that to happen with, without my intervention. And we'll get more robust in that way as time goes on and more data gets in there because it's still new. But yeah. That's great. So in 2010, they made a movie. Yeah. Based on the book. Did you see the movie? I did. I was actually at the premiere with uh, Michael Murphy and Steve Cohen, and it was, it was premiered at the Mill Valley Film Festival. Wow. Okay. It did not do well. Yes. Golf <laughs> movies are tough. <laughs> I know. It's tough to make a good one. Uh, the, you know, Legend of Bagger Vance, I thought, was pretty good. And, um, of course, Caddyshack is the one that everyone knows all the <laughs> lines right. to. Which is, re- is a golf movie, but not really. You know. <laughs> so let me read you the review from the Times. Okay. Because I think it has broader implications here about the whole subject matter. So uh, Susan Streitfeld, critiquing the movie, wrote, I'm sorry, that was her. Susan Streitfeld was, did the adaptation. The reviewer wrote, the film will probably draw the same love it or hate it response the book has. Either it's a brilliant merger of golf and philosophy or it's a collection of windy new age nonsense about a sport played mostly by rich people. So (laughs) do you have a counter to that? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's a equally distributed sort of response because I don't know that many people, maybe it's the people I hang out with, but nobody I know has hated uh, the book golf in the game. Actually, I didn't love the movie myself. My wife liked it better than I did with her kind of her spiritual orientation, but I thought it was a little bit dark and a little hard to follow. But, you know, like I said, it's hard to make a great golf movie. It's just uh, the nature of the beast. Golf is something you have to experience, you know, you have to to walk it and play it and it doesn't adapt to a movie like a lot of other types of topics. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, I'm not either. I would guess that the reviewer is not a golfer. So it says on uh, doing some research, it said that Clint Eastwood had originally purchased the rights to the film, but abandoned the project after reading several unfinished scripts in the 1990s. Now, what you don't know, and I'm going to reveal for the first time, is that I had contact back then with Michael Murphy because I wrote a screenplay called True Gravity, which we'll talk about in a second. And I still have a copy of it up in my attic. If Clint wants to read it, I'll send it to him. But at any rate, I called Michael Murphy because I wanted to make sure that I had rights to use the term. And after several attempts, I got him on the phone and basically he gave me a non-answer. He said, listen, there's a bunch of scripts floating around and uh, I don't know if it'll be a movie. So go ahead. I won't sue you. So (laughs) I couldn't get anybody to read it. So it didn't make any difference. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> yeah, there was another guy named Ron Colby, who's a society member down in LA, who has a nice video about uh, Scotland's caddies. But I know the rights did uh, change hands uh, several times. And you're right, Sean Connery, I think, was interested in doing it as well. And yeah, the movie was what it was, but it doesn't stop us from wanting to celebrate the game and having people appreciate the more esoteric aspects of golf. I mean, the, the matter of fact with the society is that. There are lots of different reasons that people are part of the Shiva Iron Society. Some people, like my friend John, love golf literature and golf books and love playing golf. And that's what they're interested in. So there are other members that are really into playing authentic golf, you know, with uh, hickory clubs and yeah. old balls. And, and <laughs> hey, it's hard enough. I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, right. I haven't tried it much myself. I mean, I have a couple of clubs baffing spoon type of clubs with uh, feathery balls and it's a different experience but yeah, yeah she's a nibblist, right so yeah <laughs> so talk to me about what your definition of true gravity is which is one of the central concepts of the book i mean have you any has it affected the way you look at life either on or off the course in terms of how you define that 
I guess not directly. I mean, when I think of true gravity, for me, it's just kind of a merging of the uh, conscious and unconscious and maybe being in the zone. I think it's, uh, since you wrote a screenplay about it, you probably got stronger perspective on uh, true gravity than I do. I know that in the ends of a lot of Steve Cohen's correspondences to uh, folks of the society, he would write in true gravity as, instead of sincerely yours. And I've carried on that tradition. And so, you know, for my sports psychology orientation, it, to me, it's kind of like about really getting out of your own way and being authentic in the zone. And when you're really playing in a place where you are grounded and in the zone, things are kind of timeless and seamless. And that's when wonderful performance happens. You know, you see it with uh, pro basketball players, you know, a lot like Steph Curry when he, or when he gets into his own and was sinking, you know, 10 three point shots without even looking at the basket. So uh, that's, you mentioned Fred Shoemaker earlier, and uh, for those who don't know, he's the founder of an organization called Extraordinary Golf, which is kind of a school of thought or an approach to golf. And in my view, you have a video on your Service Science Society website of his, a short video. And to me, he appears to be someone who embodies what Michael Murphy was describing as an approach to golf in terms of being present, being in the moment, letting go of the mind as you're playing. Uh, you're absolutely right. I Sometimes, I don't know if Fred has ever heard me say this. If he listens to this podcast, he probably will. I call Fred the Dalai Lama of golf. Just when you're around him, you sense just such a, a warm presence and non-critical. You know, we're also critical of ourselves when we play golf. And he creates an environment with his coaching where people get to really learn in a space that feels really safe. And he's a marvelous coach. He's so proficient at the game. It's unbelievable. One of the most wonderful things for me living down here is has been to get close to Fred Shoemaker and his wife, Joe Hardy. They're both wonderful human beings. And Joe actually helps me with editing some of the newsletters that I put out for the society and so forth. And they were instrumental with the society in supporting Steve Cohen back in the day when he was getting things going. In fact, there was a workshop that used to take place at Esalen, and this was my introduction actually to the society back in probably 2005 or six. A workshop at Esalen called the Golf in the Kingdom Workshop. And I went down there with kind of open eyes and not knowing what to experience. And Steve Cohen was there and Fred Shoemaker was not there this time, but he had taught that course. The The other person, uh, the golf pro at that event or that week was a guy named Bill Kondaxis, who works for Fred along with Evan Schiller and the Extraordinary Golf School. And anyway, it was kind of funny to have a bunch of golfers in golf shirts, you know, with their golfer tans walking around Esalen, where you have all these yoga teachers and meditators and so forth. And kind of the perception of golf as a, you know, rich white guy sport, for lack of a better term. You know, I guess we hopefully busted that myth a little bit just from the perspective of our interest in being there. And, you know, it was a great experience. But Extraordinary Golf School, if you want to learn in a wonderful environment and from really masterful coaches, that's a great place to go. Yeah. Now, it appears as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of the presence is on the West Coast because that's where it started. And that's where you are. Yep. Do you have any plans to expand awareness on the East Coast or do you want to have any programs or events out here? Oh, yeah. We will have events. Uh, last year, I did a event down in Florida at the Concession Club, which is down in Bradenton, Florida. It's a wonderful, very difficult private course. And one of our Chivas members 
there's a member there. And so we had a group of about 12 or 16 people and play golf down there. One of our board members is up in, uh, in the New York area, and we'll be doing something up there as well. And we've got some members in Virginia and all over the country. It's not just, I mean, we do have a preponderance of people in California and around here, but it's, you know, like I said, we're reaching out to Australia and Finland now, and we have a member in Germany. We have a member in, in Scotland at a course called Macrahanish, which is down, I think, in the southern part of Scotland. And in fact, that gentleman, Dan Miller, wrote a book, a novel, golf novel called Macrahanish, which I can recommend. And uh, so, you know, we're not limited and not limiting ourselves. And, you know, the events is going to be a big part of what we do. And so I'm going to try and get people in local areas. We have a bunch of people in Chicago who are members and so forth. But yeah, just all over the place. So no members from Burning Bush yet? You know, I still haven't found Burning Bush. I've actually <laughs> not been to Scotland myself yet, even though the, the society is going there in May. I'm not going to make that trip. John Russo, the board member I was telling you about, who travels around looking for books and things like that, he'll be on that trip. Hopefully next year in Ireland, I'll, I'm planning on going on that one. And you know, you may want to consider joining the Coin Cup. You know, Tom Coyne, who wrote a, a course called Scotland, a course called, called Ireland. Every year he bring, he has a what he calls the Coin Cup, and people can sign up, about a dozen or so people, to play with him in courses in Ireland and Scotland. I'm not sure where he's this year. Okay. He's in Ireland. I'm hoping to do it next year. So. Oh, great. I'll definitely check it out. So my last question is, if someone's interested in learning about Shivas Irons or joining, I mean, what should they do? Where do they go? Well, that's an easy one. That's a softball question. They just go to shivas.org on the World Wide Web. Okay. <laughs> and is there a cost involved? There is a cost. If you're, uh, It's $100 for joining, and it's an annual renewal fee that hopefully you'll want to continue being part of the society. And if you're a PGA member or a, uh, you know, in the profession, it's 50 bucks to join. You know, for that, you can get this four journal set, which is worth all of that money or a uh, metal Shivas Iron Society bag tag, which has our mission inscribed on there. And you'll get your, your name also put on that. It's a nice metal bag tag. So yeah, just click the join button. And if you have any questions, there's an ask a question place, or you can just send me an email at ben at shivas.org. I'm happy to talk with anyone about joining the society or just talk about golf in general. Okay, great. What am I not asking you? Let's see. I feel pretty complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Listen, Ben, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And I hope that more people learn about the society and embrace its uh, mission. And I wish you luck. And I appreciate your uh, participating in the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Gordon. Thanks for your time and best of luck to you as well. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 